In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, into the ages of all ages, Amen. Wasn't that worship just heavenly? Wasn't that great? Can we have a hand of applause for, for, for worship team? God bless you. God bless you for bringing us to a place to be ready to hear. Gianting, the command and the commander. We're talking about spiritual growth, and let's just talk about growth in general. How does it work? How does something go from being a seed to being a plant to being a tree that brings forth fruit and the fruit has more seeds in it and the seeds and the seeds get planted wherever the fruit falls and more seedlings come out and more trees and more fruit and so on. Well, it all just starts with a seed, but in the seed, the little brown dry little seed there is life although it looks dead although though it looks dry although it looks like there's nothing there there's life in it and there's a s- certain conditions that are necessary to happen for the seedling to grow and i'm smiling because my neighbors are people of like impeccable character but lately, I come home late at night, and there's this purple light flashing out of their, out of their, uh, out, of, out of their one of their upstairs rooms. And I ask Mary, I'm like, "What's that light?" She's like, "Oh, they must be growing something." And I'm like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, if you live in Toronto in this day and age, for those of you who are local, everybody's only growing one thing. It would seem, right? You know, ever since marijuana got legalized, right? But. But then Mary's telling me about how actually my neighbor is into growing all kinds of of plants. And and it's true, he does. He grows all kinds of herbs and stuff. So it was easy for me to back away from that assumption. Thyme and basil and all kinds of stuff, right? There are certain conditions. It's like it's this, it's this purple light. It's not white light. It's not. And so another one of our uh, of uh, of my friends was explaining to me that the 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 ranges of of colors of light and the wavelengths and all of this that promote growth faster than just plain old regular light, white light. So there's certain conditions that need to be observed. Although the prerequisite for life is present in the seed, if those conditions are not observed, it doesn't work. Or it works, but it goes kind of wonky. Or it kind of works a bit, and then it stops, and then it works, and then it stops. It doesn't just progress as we imagine that it would. And there's a lot of patience, and there's a lot of hard work involved as well in gardening. Now, I remember growing up and I remember uh, in my my grandma's place in Egypt, um, we're 16 of us cousins. And on the kitchen wall, she would mark like our growth charts. So there was 16 growth charts all next to each other. And as soon as we would arrive at my grandmother's place, we would run to the kitchen to see if any of the other cousins had, had, you know, outgrown us. You know, and then we, and grandma, 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 come measure me, come measure me. And we stand at the wall and she would measure us, you know, and I'll tell you something in this model of growth. It, sometimes it kind of goes both ways. It kind of grows, but sometimes there's some regression and then sometimes it grows some more in this model of growth. 
there's rarely any regression. I mean, amongst the 16 cousins, none of us got shorter on that kitchen wall. We'd seem to just get taller and taller and taller. Actually, in medicine, in the medicine of children, pediatrics, if, so, if a child stops growing, that is a very specific diagnosis. It's called failure to thrive and FTT. And it's a, it's a huge concern. It can be a zillion things. It can be nutritional. It can be psychological. It can be social. It can be cancer. It can be all kinds of things. And so it's taken very seriously if, if a kid is not growing on their growth charts as they ought to. It's expected that every child is going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And the idea that the child is going to grow and grow and shrink and shrink and grow and grow and shrink and sh is just not there. We're not expecting that to happen. Children, humans, they don't shrink. They grow. If they stop growing, we freak out. But why isn't it the same in our spiritual lives. We'll get to that. We're gonna talk a lot more about this tomorrow. Today's like an introduction and a first part. We're gonna talk a lot more about this uh, next week, not tomorrow, next week. I wanna ask you a question, ponder it for a second. How have you grown in the last five years or the last 10 years? Five years ago was 2014, 10 years ago was 2009. What's changed? What's changed since then? How have you grown? Those of you who've seen uh, pictures of mine uh, at my engagement, uh, at my engagement, I was a, a whopping 162 pounds. Let's just say I've grown. <laughs> That's one form of growth. There are other forms of growth. How have you grown? How have you grown? How have you changed? What direction is that growth going in? Is it financial growth? Is it uh, growth in uh, your, your, your mind and your maturity and your independence? Um, is it spiritual growth? Is it, is it growth in relationships? The number of friends you had before, you were very scared to, you're, you know, had you know, social anxiety and, and you've overcome that and now you've, you've made more friends. Growth in hobbies, growth in education. Maybe you've graduated since then. Maybe a whole lot of things. What's changed? in five last five years, the last 10 years. How have you grown? The message is that we're all growing in various different ways. One of those ways where we have the potential to grow is in our spiritual lives. But you see, the growth that, that you might be thinking about is where your will joins in with the circumstances and they synergize and something happens. It's, it's a willful growth in a chosen direction. This is, this is how most of us are growing. There's a direction and you apply your will in that direction and that turbocharges you in that direction. 
There's other areas in my life where I haven't grown. And that might be for a variety of reasons, but one of them might be because that synergy hasn't yet taken place. In spiritual life, it's very much the same. We can't do anything of ourselves. And we'll talk more about that a little bit, a little bit later. But when we join the Spirit of God and He works in us, magic happens. He is the wise vine dresser. Jesus says, my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. You are the branches, Jesus says. Whose job is it to make sure the vine grows and grows well and grows right? The vine dresser. Guess what? I have good news for you. You are not the vine dresser. I have good news for you. You are not ultimately responsible for overseeing the fruitfulness of the vine. You are a branch. You should bear fruit. Yes. But there is a vine dresser who is working hard to plan and prepare all those right circumstances and that purple light glowing from my neighbor's window. And he's working all of those things to make it right so that you and I can grow and can bear fruit. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to go back to school and do botany. He's the ultimate botanist. He knows what he's doing. And he's doing different things in our lives. He's doing something different in your life and something different in your life and something different in my life. And he's doing different things in our lives. But in general, they're all kind of going the same direction. A highway has three lanes, but it's, 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 it's going east. You know, it's all kind of going in the same direction and it's all kind of going in the same direction, although there may be variations and they may be big variations, but it's kind of all going in the same direction. I've heard this quote from a number of different people when I tried to figure out who actually said it first. I couldn't. If you don't know exactly where you're going, how will you know when you get there? A friend of mine once said that to me and it rang so true. I went to go look up, see who said it, and I found so many people who said it. If you don't know where you're trying to get to, how will you know when you get there? If you don't know what your objective is, how will you know that you've succeeded? How will you know that you've arrived at it? So we have to know, we have to know where God is bringing us. We have to know what is the trajectory of our spiritual growth. If we, can't, if we can't map out the total trajectory, that's fine. We said he's the wise vine dresser and so on. But we should know at least where he's taking us. Where are we going? Where are we expecting to go? Um, uh, in uh, Yogi Berra, who was, uh, you know, played for the New York Yankees and then uh, coached and managed them and then was inducted to the Hall of Fame, said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. And a lot of the time when I don't know where I'm going, but I know that I should be going, I just get, get going, you know? It took me a while to realize that if I need my navigator in the car, my Google Maps or my GPS or whatever, to get me somewhere, I shouldn't start driving until my navigator is ready because I might start driving in the wrong direction. For the longest time, I'd get in the car, put the keys on, put my seatbelt on, start driving, okay? And then start fiddling with the thing. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to be fine. I should pull over. And then now I'm halfway up the road and I pull over. Well, maybe I drove halfway up the road in the wrong direction. 
Maybe I should figure out where I'm going before I go. But there's this antsiness in us to just get going, to just get going. A beautiful, funny quote about that from Alice in Wonderland. Alice is, is talking to the, 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 the cat, Chester something, I can't remember his name. She said, will you tell me please which way I ought to go from here, says Alice to the cat. Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't, I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, says Alice. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk for long enough. If you walk for long enough, you will end up somewhere. But if you don't know where you want to go, you're probably not going to end up there. And if you just want to end up somewhere, you will end up somewhere, but it may not be where you want to go. Fortunately, we don't only know where we want to go, we have a guide and his name is Jesus. Jesus says about himself, I am the way. I am the way who will guide you there. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna unpack this a little bit as we go. He is the way. He is the way to the spiritual growth, the spiritual maturity, this journey that we're on, this journey of growth that we're on. He is the way to get there. In um, uh, St. Paul's letter to the, this church in Ephesus, he says, this is the goal, okay? This is the goal of, 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 for each person. The goal for each person is so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The goal is maturity. What is this maturity like? Like, what does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to be financially mature? Does it mean you're independent? Or does it mean you make wise decisions? Or does it, what, it mean, what does it mean to be, um, you know, socially mature? What does it mean to be uh, psychologically mature? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? St. Paul goes on to explain to us. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He doesn't mean that you don't make unwise financial decisions anymore. He doesn't mean that you manage to stay out of trouble. When he says mature, he means fully, this word, when I looked it up, it means fully grown. It means grown to its fullest capacity. It, it can't grow any further. It means that, that we, my cousins and I on my grandma's kitchen wall have grown so tall, we cannot possibly grow any taller. Like the only place after this is to stay the same or to shrink. It means to growth to its fullest height. Okay, well, in, an, in a relative perspective, it's to have achieved 100% of one's growth from a relative perspective. But maybe different people grow different amounts. So how much is much? How much is much? Well, you know how much it is? It's the fullness of the stature, the size of Christ. You measure that. You go on ahead and measure that. The fullness of Christ. That's your potential and mine. And St. Paul says the job of the church and the job of each Christian is to work with the Spirit to come to the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature 
to the whole, to what point, St. Paul? To how, how mature is mature? To the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And you're looking at this, and if you're anything like me, you're saying, Father John, <laughs> the, the guy sitting next to me, I, I know him. He's a saint. I mean, he's great, but you're looking at the wrong person. I mean, you got the wrong number. Like, this is not going to ever be me. I'm just, I'm just me. In the, in, the, in the sizes of Christ, if Jesus is like way up there, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm like, you know, somewhere about three millimeters off the ground. I'm like immeasurably small. I don't know what you're talking about, but there's no, there's no foreseeable way. I don't see a way that I'm going to grow to this whole measure of the fullness of, of Christ. I don't know what you're talking about, Father John. So this is kind of like our thing, you know, the, the cat with the lion's shadow is kind of like our, our thing for this series, you know? Because it kind of just, it just has that, it has each one of us in that verse just perfectly, you know? I'm like this little cat. This cute little kitten. I'm cute, aren't I? Right? I'm cute like this cute little kitten, right? And something unseen happens between the cute kitty catty, as my daughters would call her, and the shadow in the back. Something happens between the little kitten and the full-grown lion. Something unseen has happened between here and there. And that's what's happening with you and with me Something, if you'll allow me to say, someone unseen is working. And he wants to take your hand and he wants you to come and to work with him. Sometimes I feel like God is telling me, just, do, just, just don't work against me. <laughs> you don't have to work with me. You can, you can just kind of tag along and be dead weight. But, but please, just... Just don't pedal in the opposite direction, okay? Like, it's okay if you want to, you know, on the tandem bike, you know, if it's okay if you just want to sit there, that's fine. I'll, I'll do all, the, I'll do all the, the pedaling. But try just not pedaling in the opposite direction, you know? God wants us to participate with him in his life, in his work, in each one of us. St. Jerome, a priest and theologian historian in the end of the 4th and beginning of the 5th century, the first person to translate the Bible to Latin and wrote a commentary on the entire Bible. Commenting on this verse, says, According to the traditions of the Church and the Apostle Paul, our resurrection will be into a mature man and the stature of the fullness of Christ. When I die and I and I'm brought back to life by the power of God, I'm resurrected, I'll be resurrected into a mature man, woman, in the fullness of the stature of Christ. This is the state in which the Jews claim that Adam was created, and in which we have read that the Lord rose from the dead. You know what Jesus was like when he rose from the dead? That's what it means to be mature in the full in the full stature of Christ. That's what God has in mind for you and me. You know your 
you know, when you're, when, when you're, and I only learn this now that I'm a parent and I'm discussing these things with my parents, but like the goal of every parent is to like get their kid through school, you know, get them settled in life, whatever that means, good job, married, you know, they're, they're settled, they're taken care of. So if I, you know, if I pass on, my kids will be okay, right? That's one person's definition of mature. Jesus' definition of mature goes way beyond that. That's the target. The state in which Adam was created and in which the Lord rose. That's what God wants to bring you to and bring me to. That's what he wants to grow us into. Now we know what our target is. Let's figure out how we're going to grow, grow to it. We're going to have a guide during these six weeks. His name is St. Anthony the Great. St. Anthony was a great man who lived at the end of the, the 3rd century or middle of the 3rd century and the beginning of the 4th century. He lived for about 105 years. And um, he's known as the father of all monks. And he'll be our guide. So when he was a young man, he was about 18 years old or 20 years old, he went to church and he heard... A, the, a reading of the gospel being read in church and he heard the gospel of Matthew I believe where Jesus is speaking to the young rich ruler and he says to him if you want to be perfect sell all that you have give to the poor come and follow me his parents had just passed on and left him a massive inheritance over 300 acres of land he had a sister but that was about it and so he says you know what I'm just going to obey Jesus. He says, if you want to be perfect, sell all that you have and come and follow me. So he sold all that he had, made sure there was enough to care for his sister, put her in the care of, they had these things in the church at that time called homes for virgins. So put her, it's kind of like a convent, but they didn't have a monastic rule because monasticism didn't really exist as an entity, as an institution till St. Anthony. And so, she went there, she was happy to go there, and he went and found an elder, someone who was well advanced in Christianity and spiritual life, and said, I'm going to go learn from him. And then he went and learned from the next one. And then he went and learned from the next one. He kept learning from one and learning from another and learning from another until he had, until he, he had learned all he could from whoever was available. And he kept going further and further out. And then he realized he just needed time to put all of this into practice. And so he went and lived in a little cave or like a little hut and it wasn't secluded enough so he told one of his friends he's going to go live in the tombs and he went and he lived in the tombs and the demons attacked him and all these things and then eventually he went into further east into the eastern desert and he ended up by the by the red sea where his monastery is now over time he became known for his holiness and he became known for his devotion to god and people started flocking to him kings philosophers, dignitaries came to him. He, he did some miracles and some wonders, but most of them came to him for his wisdom, for his holiness, because he was, they said, an angel on earth. You could go and visit a living angel. He was like a one-hit wonder. And people started to gather around him and formed a bit of a, a community. And the community grew and then he had to get, it grew so much and he started to get older, he had to appoint one of his disciples, Father Amun or Amunas, to go and care for, for a, a community. And a lot of the letters that we have 
are actually letters of Amun, but not of Antony himself, but they're thought to be dictated by Antony and Amun wrote them, and so they're attributed to Amun, but they're, they're really Antony. Anyhow, really fascinating, fascinating person who, who mastered spiritual life, mastered growth in the eternal world. And uh, we'll have a guide to guide us in the ways of St. Anthony, <laughs> Father Matthew the Poor. Cute little book, um, just, uh, just 70 pages, um, talking about the teachings of St. Anthony. Father Matthew has taken, God bless his soul, has taken the teachings of St. Anthony and he's grouped them into 12 principles and we're going to kind of cover them all through Lent this year. Um, and we have this book as a, we have this book and we have it as a PDF if anybody wants it and so on and we'll make all these things available to you. So today we're going to kind of just dive into the first two principles and we're covering, covering them. You know, there's more here and there's more in the actual writings of St. Anthony. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we're just kind of give, give you something that you can take and you can put into practice no matter where you're at in your walk, in your walk with God. So St. Anthony says the Holy Bible is the underpinning of asceticism and the Holy Spirit is, a com is our companion from the beginning to end. He's telling us that everything that we need for spiritual life is in Scripture. Spiritual books are great. They're helpful. They're fantastic. But what you need is the Bible. St. Anthony, people say he was illiterate. He wasn't illiterate. He could read Coptic. He couldn't read Greek. He could le re read the local language, but he couldn't read the language of academia. He wasn't an academic. He, wasn't, he didn't write letters to write theological articles. He was, he was really a man trying to live a life of holiness and guide others to do the same. That's it. And so he says, all you really need is right here. All you really, really need is right here. And we'll talk about that because you see everything, absolutely everything, says St. Paul in Colossians, got started in him, in, in Christ, and finds its purpose in him. Everything starts with God and everything will find its ultimate end in God. So God knows every single step of the way. And this is simply your user's manual. This, this is what you need, what you need to know how to operate. He says here more clearly, he says, the holy books suffice for teaching. All you need for teaching is this. In relation to the Holy Spirit, the second point that he talks about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27, it's mentioned twice in the same chapter. St. John says, he's, telling the, the, he's writing a letter to some people and, and he's telling them, look, you have no need that anyone should teach you anything, but the anointing which you have received, the Holy Spirit, teaches you all things. The Holy Spirit living inside of you and the Holy Spirit living inside of these, these words is your 
teacher. You don't need, you don't need teachers. I recognize this is bad for my business, you know? I recognize, you know? But I'm telling you, this is your teacher. This is an adjunct. This is extra. This is extra. This is the steak on your plate at the keg. Sorry to mention steak while we're fasting. This is the asparagus. This is the little carrot or Chinese broccoli or whatever they've got, you know, right? Nobody ever went to the keg for the asparagus, the carrots, and the Chinese broccoli, right? <laughs> this is your main. This is your main. This is your side. This. Good stuff. Good stuff. Adds color to the plate. Makes it interesting. This is your nutrition. This is what makes you grow. This is what Moses says, God says through Moses in Deuteronomy and Jesus quotes it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. Scripture, the Bible, that's what you and I need. Jesus himself says, this is what we need. That's his prescription. St. Anthony says, St. Anthony was questioned on the meaning of the Apostles' proverb, rejoice in the Lord always. How, how are you going to do that? Rejoice in the Lord always. Bad stuff happens, right? We're all going to have our ups and our downs, right? We're going to talk about that next week. So he replied, if we delight in keeping the Lord's commandments, then this is rejoicing in the Lord. Thus, let us rejoice in keeping the commandments of the Lord and in the success of our brethren and keep ourselves from worldly joys and pleasures if we wish to be our God's elect. St. Anthony is saying this, the circumstances of life change. Let me use a different word. The happenings of life can make you happy or sad. The happenings. But some things are constant, St. Anthony is saying. The thing which is constant is Christ and his commandments. They are always true. So he's saying rejoice in Jesus' commandments. Rejoice to do them. When the Spirit works in me and rebukes me and tells me, probably better not to do that. My usual reaction is like, man, why did you have to tell me? Like before I was doing it in ignorance. Now if I do it, it would be doing it in disobedience. Man, it's good while it lasted, right? Compare that to King David who says, I meditate on your ways day and night. They are sweeter to me than honey and the honeycomb. I don't get King David. I just don't get him. I struggle to do the commandments of God. He loves the commandments of God. He's like chasing to do the commandments of God. St. Anthony is saying, be like King David. Don't be like John. Love, rejoice in the commandments. When I was uh, the first Holy Week that I was able to, like I had the week off. I remember it was grade nine and I had the whole week off and I asked my priest for advice and he told me, 
read all the Gospels, beginning to end. And so I asked my mom for advice. She gave me the same advice. I was like, These, they're in cahoots, right? Uh, maybe he gave her the same advice that he gave me. Maybe, just maybe, right? And then my mom said to me, try underlining all the commandments in one color and all the promises in another. So I chose to underline the, the, the promises in blue and the commandments in red. And I underlined and underlined and I got you know, so discouraged because I opened my Bible and it seems to be all red. It's all stuff I have to do, not stuff God is going to do for me. And I was so disappointed. Why are there so many more commandments than there are promises? Why can't there be more promises? Why can't it be all promises and no commandments, right? And I, and, and I got discouraged in finding that there's so much Red. There's so much commandments that I have to do. And, and sometimes there's a commandment and right after it, there's a promise. And you start to feel like the, the promise is conditional upon the commandment. And you're like, man, like, and is God turning on tit for tat for me? Is he, is he turning all catty on me? And, and I just couldn't get it all. And then I read something in my discouragement, which, which made me understand things in a completely different light. You see, the promises are largely, mostly, the things God is planning to do for you, around you, in the world around you. But the commandments are the things, the miracles, that God and only God can do within you. When he says, love your enemies, there's no way in the universe I'm going to love my enemies. I can try as hard as I want from here till kingdom come. I'm going to find it very hard to love my enemies. But by his grace and my willingness to try, he will make it a reality for me in my life. The commandments are actually promises of what he will do with you. What he will do with you and through you. St. Paul says, this is, the, this is my definition of ministry, people ministry. Like the people who mop the floors and make sure our AV works and all that, that's ministry too. But serving human beings and serving souls, this is, this is my definition from St. Paul. He says, the goal is that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ powerfully works in me. The working of Christ and all his power and all his might is not around me. It's happening in me. And he's using me, broken old me, old shoe John, to work wonders with the people that are around me, with my, what people call my circle of influence, shall we say. So the commandments are actually a roadmap. So St. Anthony is telling us, love the roadmap. Don't want to get lost? Don't lose the map. You don't want to get lost? Don't lose the map. Love the map. Love the map. And when you find a new detail on the map that says, oh, when you get there, there's a pothole. Make sure to go around it from the left because on the right, there's a fire hydrant. 
Pay attention, love the map, love the commandments, because it's in loving the commandments that no one can take away from you. You see, the happenings of life, they can come and go, but the commandments of Christ, no one can take them away from you. And if you put your love and you put your value there, the gospel today was, you know, where's your treasure? Choose your treasure. Treasure the commandments, no one can take them away from you. You know, it's even better is that the author of the commandments is living inside of you. So there's this, there's this work, there's this work that, the, that, that, that what is written and the one who wrote it, they're like conspiring against you, conspiring to your success. The Holy Spirit, which inspired scripture, and the Holy Spirit will, living in you are waiting on you and waiting on me to say with King David, I love your commandments. They're sweeter to me than honey in the honeycomb. I want to do that. I want to love my enemies. I want to whatever commandment of Christ. They're, they're waiting. They're waiting on you and waiting on me to just put our will, to just, to just put our hand in there to work with us friend of mine, Father Michael Suriel, tweeted this a while ago, and it was just, uh, in the beginning of February, it was, just, it was just great. I mean, he is very eloquent. He is like a theologian. He's super smart and stuff. And he just put it so well. He said, God did not dictate the Bible in the way that Muslims or Mormons view their books. Holy men of God were inspired by the Holy Spirit and wrote the words based on their authentic encounter with God. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. We'll look at that in a second. That makes it a theanthropic, that means the God, anthropos, human, a God, human work, divine and human work. So this is not dictated by God, but it's God who worked. It's God who worked with holy men. And they, and they said, sure, I'll go along. Okay. Um, and uh, then write this. And they, only, they just used the words that they knew. And that's why the style of writing is different from one thing to the next. right? And so St. Peter says, prophecy never, the verse that Father Michael was qu quoting, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. So the Spirit moved in them, so they wrote. And then you read it, and then it moved in your heart. And then the Holy Spirit in your heart worked with it. That's how it works. So it all starts with God. He moved in the hearts of these men. They wrote. You read what they wrote. What you read, what you, what you read resonated. It resonated with the spirit inside of you. It clanged. It's a, yeah, I know that. I recognize that. You know? And it's the spirit working and working and working. So in the beginning and in the end, all glory be to God. The word of God is alive and powerful, says St. Paul. It's alive and powerful. There's, there's someone who lives in this book and his name is God, the Holy Spirit. And there's someone who lives in you and his name is God, the Holy Spirit. And when he says, and then he says, and I say, uh, yeah, that, sound, that makes sense. I, I could go along with that. Then all, all of us are going in the same, 
in the same direction. And that's how it works. And that's why every time I read the same passage, I get a different message. The words on the page are the same. But, but the words he's speaking here are speaking, are resonating with the Spirit of God in me who's saying something different to me then. I asked my spiritual father, my previous spiritual father, who's gone to heaven now, told him I need to get a new Bible. What version should I get? He said to me, one without a commentary. I said, but father, that's not a version. Like, that's what version should I get? Like, New King James, NIV, NRSV, blah, blah, blah. And I had done all those research, so I started telling him all my research. He smiled, he was a very patient man. He smiled, sat, stood there quietly, and he nodded his head. He said, one without a commentary. I was like, why without a commentary? He gave beautiful Bible studies, send you to heaven. I was like, Abuna, did the Holy Spirit reveal all that stuff to you? He's like, no, I read it in a commentary. I'm like, so why can't I read the commentaries, right? And he says, to, he says you can read commentaries. I'm like, so why can't I get a Bible with a commentary? No, he's like, no, we don't get a Bible with a commentary. I'm like, I don't understand. The, most of my conversations with him were like this, and other people too, but I wouldn't let him go. I had to understand, right? He says to me, look, when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Bible, speaks to you, and he like harmonizes with his own voice, which is inside of you, which may or may not be saying what harmonized in the heart of the commentator who wrote that commentary when they wrote it. So he's saying, I believe that that's an authentic resonation of the Holy Spirit. These were not his words. He spoke in Arabic, but you know, is it that the person who wrote that commentary was having an authentic experience with God at that time. And they wrote and they wrote that and they wrote it for us. And we can see what a static, authentic experience of God with this passage could look like. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be your experience. You are dynamic. God is dynamic. You should have a dynamic relationship with God. God wants to work with you. So you want to see what it could look like? Sure, this is what it could look like. There's other things which it could not look like. God will never be telling you, you know, kill your little sister, right? Or whatever, right? Everybody with a little sister suddenly laughed, right? <laughs> So he says, one without a commentary. Wrapping up, tell you one final story, one last story, and then we'll stand and sing and pray. A group of monks go to see St. Anthony. And they ask him, how can we attain our salvation? He says to them, have you heard what the Lord says? They said, from your mouth, O Father, teach us. So he says to them, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. A primary ascetic principle, a primary principle in the way of asceticism, in the ways of spiritual life. They reply, we cannot bear this. So he says to them, then endure only the first slap, a lesser ascetic principle. 
They reply, this also we cannot do. So he says to them, um, okay, so then do not repay evil to those who spitefully accuse you. Yet an even lesser ascetic principle. They reply, this also we cannot do. So the saint calls his disciple and he says to him, prepare a meal for them and send them on their way, for they are ill. This they cannot endure, this they cannot perform, and the edicts of the Lord they do not wish to keep. What can I do for them? St. Anthony is putting before us, you have a choice and it's black or white. It's yes or no. And there's nothing in between. Don't be fooled. Do you want to follow the commandments? I want to leave you encouraged. I want to leave you serious, sober, but encouraged. When Moses is about to die, he's going up on Mount Nebo, he presents Joshua as the new leader of the Israelites to bring them across the Jordan into the Promised Land. God instructs Joshua on the tongue of Moses the way he instructs you and he instructs me. Today, right now, God is saying to you and he's saying to me, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything, everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be strong today. Be courageous today. Do not be afraid or be discouraged today. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He will transform these commandments into promises that He promises to do in your life. But He's not going to do it against your will. And the call is to do everything written, is to be willing and desiring to do everything written. And that's the first step, St. Anthony tells us. And that's the beginning. Be willing to be a giant, to be a lion, to let God make a lion out of me and out of you. Glory be to God forever and ever, men. Let's pray.